Teen Wolf Podcast, episode 71, uh, recording for the episode of Teen Wolf, season 4, episode 3, Muted, which just aired this week. Uh, We're here tonight, Karen and I. Hello, Karen. Hi. With our friend Danielle, who is a Hyperbull staff member, so everyone say hello to Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Hello. So, first of all, if you wanted to tell the crowd, the imaginary crowd listening, what exactly you do with Hyperbull and what some of your big fandoms are, please feel free. Oh, sure. Um, I am one of the features writers, so I don't necessarily cover news, but I write some fun articles on pretty much everything that I like. Uh, The main things are, right now, Teen Wolf, and then I also love the Marvel Universe, so I'm really big into that stuff, too. Cool. And you watched Teen Wolf pretty fast all in one go recently, is that right? Yes, I watched it in like a two-week span, maybe, leading up to Indie PopCon. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. So so you went to that with Karen and, and all of the girls there? Yes, it was yeah. wonderful. I didn't go. I was in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> we were thinking of you. Guys, I was we're there. Mess. I just didn't feel like coming up and talking to you, you know. <laughs> No, uh, but yeah, da- yeah, Danielle is is slightly new but incredibly enthusiastic to the Teen Wolf fandom. Um, I think Karen kind of forced her to do it or something, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe a little. <laughs> um, but yeah, it will hopefully be fun. This is obviously Danielle's first episode with us because she wasn't watching the show last season. So, well, first recap episode because she was mm-hmm. on the episode with us at. Indie PopCon. Yeah, she was on the live panel that you guys did, right? She was like the replacement us. The replacement <laughs> yeah. team. <right> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so that was... Did you enjoy that, the Indie indie, indie PopCon live panel? Oh, it was so much fun. I was I was nervous a little bit, but it was a lot of scary. fun. It looks scary. It. Like, I don't know. But yeah, so from listeners who may remember that, Danielle, from that, this is her first episode with us in a proper recording studio situation i say recording <laughs> studio i mean bedroom My bed. like, yeah, <laughs> like uh, imagine having a recording studio where we all just rocked up every week to record a podcast oh my god that'd be so <sighs> anyway it would be a bit of a waste of resources probably but you know what can you do <laughs> um anyway moving on from that if you want to chat to us after the episode about anything that you feel like uh, you can reach us on Twitter, which is NATW Podcast, on email, which is NATW Podcast at gmail.com, or on Tumblr, which is not another Teen Wolf Podcast. Uh, please feel free to do that because we are getting some really cool stuff. Like we've got a feedback section this week that has a fantastic email that was sent in. So, yeah, we, we always appreciate that. Or if you want to reach Danielle to like cry about. Bucky Barnes, that's fine. You can also reach her, her 
Twitter. What's your Twitter, Danielle? Uh, my Twitter is Zim102090. So, so it's a double M, right? Like a yes. Z-I-M-M-102090. Cool. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's her public Twitter. And Karen and I's public Twitters you should already have as well. Um, I mean, you don't have to follow us. It's probably pretty boring. Karen tweets a lot about mushrooms, and I tweet a lot about One Direction. <laughs> so, oh my God. you know, that's actually true. I can't even say anything. <laughs> <about> that. <laughs> like... Anyway, if if that's your jam, you know, you could follow us. Um, <laughs> but jumping straight into our favorite quote section, should we go, Danielle, first about your favorite quote this week? Sure, I would love to. Uh, my favorite quote this week is from Coach, and he says, Jackson's gone, Leahy's gone, Greenberg, the only guy I actually wanted gone, was held back. Again, sucks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Greenberg. I mean, I, was, Greenberg. I, I, I always manically look around the room in the lacrosse, you know, in the change room. Yeah, lacrosse is back, guys. We told you lacrosse was back in a mega way. Was there, like, enough lacrosse in this episode for you? Because <laughs> I don't think that they could have got much more lacrosse in the episode. Um, but the I always look around being like, oh, which one could be Greenberg? But in my process of doing that, there are a couple of guys in there, I assume because they just hire, like, random stunt people or bring in, like, the crew who are you know, good at stunts, to sort of fill the lacrosse room or the lacrosse mm-hmm. field. Some of those guys look old. They don't look teenager. There was a guy with, like, <laughs> facial hair that you wouldn't be allowed to keep at school in there. I was like, really? Um, so maybe he's Greenberg. But it does fit with, I think, our other Danielle, who was it her that had the idea, The, the our, our friend fan Danielle, Karen, was she the one that had the idea for Michael J. Fox coming back and playing Greenberg? Um, oh man, I don't remember. I'm really sorry if it was another one of our guest hosts that I'm mixing up, but it's really early in the morning for me, so just deal with it. But yeah, we had a guest host on who, and I'm I'm so sure it was Danielle, but other Danielle, sorry Danielle, um, but (laughs) someone was like, yeah, I want Michael J. Fox to guest star as Greenberg, like as, like that's the final reveal of Greenberg, if you know what I mean. And... That would make sense if he's been held back for five million years, basically. And, yeah. Anyway, um, as the because of the obviously original Teen Wolf, if you haven't had the pleasure of watching that yet, the 1980s movie that this is based on. So that was fun times for for everyone. Lacrosse is back, and Karen has a lacrosse quote as well. I do. This is from Styles, and uh, this is when they're looking at Liam, and they're trying to figure out how he is so good at everything. And Styles says, that's inhuman. What is he? A were-cheetah? Does that even exist? Is that a thing? And, oh my god, it's so good to have funny Styles back. And, um, I, you know, he was just amazing this entire episode. But also, cheetahs are my favorite animal in the entire world. I would like to see a were cheetah. Just throwing it out there. Really? Cheetahs are your favorite animal? I never knew that. I feel like sullied that I never knew that. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you know. Well, okay. Um, Yeah, Styles did have a lot of, like, his kind of quick, like, kind of seemingly, like, lines almost don't even seem scripted if you know what I mean that they're, they're so just like run on sentencey mm-hmm. kind of thing like the whole like really you guys want to stay at school and go to class like and and study <laughs> I've never heard anything so irresponsible in my life kind of thing but look and the physical comedy yeah, was, yeah. a lot of that was back too yeah 
it was great. Like it was, it was very, very funny. Like, like as well, another one, this would have been my one if I didn't have a more important thing to talk about, but him just being like to Scott after he was like, Oh, I'll text her later. He was like, just no with the texts because it's like yes. this on, on, <laughs> ongoing joke that he has this, <laughs> Scott just texts people and it just fails at communication and, and styles is just, really really done with it and I want it to be like a plot line later on that something completely and utterly messes up because Scott was depending on texts and Styles was like I, in the middle of like running away from something crazy I told you about the texts blah 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 and yeah anyway so that that would have been my quote in terms of of funny delightful things uh but I, I wrote that one down too <laughs> that was like my that was my second one that one and the I've never heard something so irresponsible yeah, in my life. So you just great. covered all three. Yeah. But um, our, my one was is really random, but I'm going to explain it as to why I chose it because it does. It's not. It's going to interrupt the flow of the episode if I actually talk about it in the scene where it happens. It's between Sheriff and Parrish in the police station when they're talking about the crime scene that was found, and Parrish is getting a bit curious. He's like, "Come on, I want to go in there." And Sheriff is like, "No, just like look at the photos." And thank me for the nightmares. Like, you don't need to go there. And he's like, what if we've missed something? And and Sheriff says, yeah, that's why Agent McCall is bringing in an agent from Quantico who deals with exactly this kind of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, okay. Because, look, this could be coincidence because we know that, because we know the agent obviously works for the FBI, the agent McCall, but the whole agent from Quantico who deals with exactly this kind of thing is in terms of like looking at murder scenes, seeing what people have missed and basically profiling a murderer. It's a Hannibal reference. It's, they are talking about Will Graham in this scene. They're talking about like the lead character from Hannibal um, who does that basically for the FBI. Um, I, I mean, they have many people there that do that, but he's the best. He's, and he's the kind of craziest. And, the fact that the episode is about ends up being about like a Wendigo, like a cannibalistic, you know, being, and that there's a Wendigo in Hannibal as well, and that Jeff Davis is really, really, really good friends with Brian Fuller and really admires Hannibal as a show. I think that this is his like subtle nod to Hannibal, basically, especially bringing in the like mentioning the the Quantico agent. Quantico is the FBI training school basically so where all of the like the top lecturers sort of stay and and the really high profile cases go and yeah I'm so certain that this is a Hannibal reference so I'm gonna need like quite a few pages of fan fiction of Will Graham (laughs) coming to Beacon Hills and profiling these murder scenes and being like instead insane because of it and probably for Will Graham and Agent Parrish to hook up or Deputy Parrish to hook up because <laughs> Will Graham deserves someone better to love him than frickin' Hannibal Lecter. Like, that's the only person that cares about him and that's a problem because Hannibal Lecter tried to make him crazy and believe that he was turning into a cannibal himself. So, yeah... I would like Will Graham to come to Beacon Hills where his life might be easier than dealing with Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> That's saying something, considering we're talking about Beacon Hills. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, seriously, the first person that finds me, like, je- after this episode, genuinely good quality, like, Will Graham coming and, like, looking at murder scenes at Beacon Hills and dealing with um, Deputy Parrish, I will, like, send you a prize. I don't even care. Find me good fan fiction of this because I want it. So that's my favourite moment of the episode. Um, uh, we'll, we'll move on to talk a bit more about what the Wendigo means in the terms of this 
show uh, because this in this show it was obviously a very real supernatural thing, whereas in Hannibal it is a a hallucination that that Will has, not an actual supernatural being. So anyway, the whole situation will unfold in terms of our Wendigo. So Karen, do you want to kind of go ahead with with that in terms of the episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, the episode starts off pretty bloody, actually. Um, kind of goes right into the mystery where we see this new character named Sean, who's outside looking for his cat named Willow. I'm Aww. just gonna say this is a Buffy reference. Um, I <laughs> She's wouldn't just be surprised. demanding that it is. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even be surprised if it if it was, to tell you the truth. But uh, And he can't find the cat, goes inside, and ends up finding his cat who's covered in blood under his bed. Mm-hmm. And he hears his entire family getting killed outside his bedroom door. And uh, it turns out that it's that guy without a mouth who I'm just going to call the mute because I think that's what they're going to end up referring to him as. Yeah. And we've seen that in some of the promotions. Um but he's the one that ended up killing them, and he goes after Sean, but Sean escapes through the window. So, I, I don't know. To me, that was a pretty strong opening to the episode. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty shocking and pretty, yeah, pretty full-on, especially, like, new character, new villain, in you know, completely new and, and crazy scenario. Um, it really creeped me out that the guy was talking to him and being like, here's what's going to happen, here's how you can defend yourself. And it, I don't know, it was a weird kind of manipulation, like he was offering him, you know, not an out or anything, but it was kind of like bending him to his will because he he was doing the things he said to defend himself. So it, it was really screwed up. I don't know, it was really strange. But obviously we find out later uh, a bit more about that. But I don't know, that the whole, just the initial setup of him killing the family and then sort of coming after Sean and being like, Sean, here's what we can, you know, here's what you can do, especially in his, like, strange computer voice, was uh, grossly unpleasant. I also want to know how the cat got covered in blood uh, because he hadn't killed the whole family yet, had he? It was just the cat just... I I don't know. I had that same question. I think that he had maybe killed the father and the brother because we heard a woman screaming and then he killed the mother. Mm. So maybe it was like the other two, like their blood. Fun. Nice. Good. Oh yeah. Very lovely. Cool. Well, I hope that cat's okay anyway, because she ain't got (laughs) no one to take care of her now. Like by the end of the episode, that cat's going to be all on its own. So maybe someone else can look after it. I don't know. Who'd like a cat? Who needs a cat? Derek. Derek needs a cat. Let's (laughs) Willow, how about that? Please let this happen. Guys, if you're listening, come on, writer's room. Come on, just put it in there. If if Brian Fuller can put a dog on the show named Applesauce because a fan was like, can we call one of the dogs on the show Applesauce? Will Graham has like eight dogs, FYI. Then you can make Derek adopt this sad little cat. Please make it happen. It will be great for everyone. Come on. You can do it. I believe in you. Anyway, moving on. Oh, from my the God. It's, it's been like five minutes, and I'm already just <laughs> overwhelmed. Um. <laughs> Sorry. I've got some strong feelings about Hannibal, apparently. Um. Uh, okay, so then uh, Brayden 
comes in and sasses Peter, and I don't know about you guys, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. I think that she can really mm-hmm. go toe-to-toe with Peter, and it was really great seeing that, because they want to hire her to find Kate and turn Kate over to them instead of the Calaveras. And she's sort of negotiating back and forth her terms of agreement, which is basically her money. And Peter is very worried about having to get a job because they are now completely broke. (laughs) He's so bratty. He's like, Uh, what do you think I'm going to do that? Get a job? Like, all right, rich boy, calm down. Like, you know, (laughs) um, but I've got a job that you could do, Peter. We, We know the perfect job for you. You can be the drama teacher at Beacon Hills High. That's your job. Come on. Again, make it happen. Actually, no, that, that would probably take a lot of orchestrating. That would take more orchestrating than Derek having a cat. Um, but, but yeah, we, we've had a long-running chat about the potential jobs, Pete, um, you know, that Peter could have. Um, so, I mean, what are his real options in life right now, providing that they don't get the money back? Is he, like, going to have to be, like, a minimum wage worker? Like, if... He, <laughs> you know, does, he, does he have any references? Does he have any life skills at all? Kind of lemonade stand. I feel like at this point <laughs> that would be about it. Oh my god! <laughs> god, what could he do? Seriously, I'm trying right. to think of like his talents, like well, manipulation. How far is that gonna get him? Are there like jobs in the supernatural world? Like, you know, could he be a mercenary for someone else? Like, you know, are there are there jobs? You know, doing the taxes for people who like work on the black market or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's got to be like underground jobs. But like, if he had a real world job, I feel like that would be I a feel problem. Like, <laughs> I feel like he wouldn't want to get his hands dirty being a mercenary though. Mm. Black market I- taxes. I could see him doing that though. That being said, what about Derek having a real-world job? You guys are all like, silence. Um, <laughs> I remember there was this um, this tweet that we got on the account a little while ago about the job that Derek could have, something at the school, and now I don't remember what it was. It was really good. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, where are places where it's typical that the person is, like, sulky? Are there, like, particular coffee shops that, like, that they always look angry at you? I would think most of them. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like I've heard things about, like, you know, like, people being, like, too hip, you know, the, the, the staff being too, like, hipster and cool, like, to, like, yeah. Like, he could work at American Apparel or something and just wear a lot of V-nags and, like, look sulky about, you know, doing his job. I don't know. Anyway, poor Derek, poor Peter. They're not going to have any money. How sad for them. Whatever. I've got a plan. Sell your apparently expensive Italian designer furniture, and then you'll have a little bit more money, Peter. How about that? You can have some IKEA tables instead, because yeah, he, he Peter's very particular, and I love thinking of him. What I want, no, no, okay. What I want is for Peter, out of everyone in the show, for Peter to be the one that gets his wolf powers taken away, that he gets turned back to human, and that he has to deal with the world. Because that would just be, there's lots of people like, oh, you know, Scott would have loved the cure or whatever. Like, you know, I think Scott probably wouldn't take a cure now if he, if he had it. And there might be people there that really don't want to be a wolf. Uh, But Peter, as a punishment, having his wolf stuff taken away and just having to deal with the, in the world as a human, that would be fun. I think that would be really good. That would be amazing. I found the tweet. It was from uh, Blue Humac, and they said that Derek should be the Spanish teacher and coach's assistant. 
Oh, cute. Okay. Yeah, he can do that. <laughs> I can see that. God, how awkward. Can you imagine that the other's going to class with Derek as the teacher? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Styles would give him such problems. <laughs> Maybe he can become like a park ranger or something. Like not a cop, but like a like a like a nature reserve guard or something for like, you know, I don't know, protecting the bunny rabbits or I, I don't know. Jesus. Oh my god. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Let's I, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so how much did you guys actually miss lacrosse? Because I miss lacrosse a lot. I don't know. I missed it. It was fun having it back. There was a lot. There was a lot of lacrosse in this episode, Karen. A lot. It was awesome. <laughs> it was. It was good. It was just a bit like I'm kind of pointing out to us and to each other like really after all we've been through is this still important and it kind of still did give you an impression of like taking it back to like just what these kids lives are like like you know that they, that no matter how much they know about the world and how grand a scope they are dealing with they are still you know caring about the normal things that they would have been caring about before and I think that that's a very true thing especially with teenagers uh, and you see it in a lot of different media and in real life as well, like teenagers, you know, no matter how big a deal the things they experience are, their base cares still usually remain the same. Uh, and it's it's something that, yeah, I've seen a lot of in, in different shows or in, I guess, even thinking back to real life. And I guess this is an example of it too, like no matter w- what all of these people are knowing about in the real world, they're kind of trying to tell themselves it's not that important. Even Scott and Styles are kind of like, you know, is it that really that big a deal? And when they're kind of faced with it, when they are like seeing other kids like succeed in their place and stuff, they're like, no, I still want that. I still want that. And it kind of came across quite well, I think. Yeah, I agree. And not even the things that they care about, but the things that keep happening to them. It's not like when the supernatural comes in, the rest of the world kind of just like steps to the side and stops. Mm. I mean, Styles is getting final notices on his Eichenhaus bill. Kira's parents want to move back to New York. Kira and Scott are not sure if they're actually in a relationship or not. Malia's having trouble with school. They're having difficulty with lacrosse. It's not just like, okay, we have the supernatural issue and none of these other things are happening. It's all happening simultaneously. And mm. that's really realistic. And I think they, especially after season three B where it was so dark and it was so hung up on the Nagitsune aspect of the show, it's really important to bring forth this human element that they keep talking about and having us realize that, you know, and uh, Styles says it perfectly in this episode, like, yeah, he's the alpha werewolf and stuff, but he's still only human. And this human stuff isn't going to go away just because they have to deal with the supernatural things. Yeah. yeah. And in addition to, I guess, the human aspect, I see the lacrosse scenes and maybe even the problems with lacrosse as a good balance to what to the tone of everything else that's going on. Because mm-hmm. even if there's something huge going down on the lacrosse field. Um, it still has a little bit of a lighter tone than everything else. And so I think it's a nice break every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I, I, I did very much enjoy it. It was, it was a bit full on, like there was a lot of lacrosse, but I did, I did enjoy it. And, you know, it's always good to have, have coach around and, and kind of just seeing the ridiculousness of it really. Uh, like I loved him being like, those two are like sons to me once Scott and Styles started <laughs> performing well. 
um, <laughs> which was really cute and, and nice to see. But I don't know, it's, it, it was interesting. And also it obviously serves to introduce the new characters. Um, you know, we kind of see a little bit of Garrett, who I, is played by Mason Dye. And my impression of Garrett is that he was someone who is kind of always, he's maybe in the same year as Scott and Styles, or maybe the year below, but he is, they knew him. He wasn't a new kid there for the first time. He's someone who's potentially always been on the team, but just wasn't ever focused on before, if you know what I mean. Whereas Liam is a new, new person to the school. Um, and we haven't seen the third person who's going to come along yet um, called Mason. Is that right as Mason. well? Yes. Yeah. We haven't seen Mason yet. But we saw two of the three new lacrosse boys. Do, do we want to talk about them yet or have we got to a, a different different part? No, yeah, let's talk about them because I actually feel the same way about Garrett. I feel like he's probably a sophomore and that he's been around, but and because it, there was definitely familiarity, especially between Styles and Garrett, like they, they definitely knew each other. It wasn't yeah. like this new thing, whereas they very much focused on the fact that um, Liam was the new kid, mm. but I, what did you guys think of Liam? What were your first impressions of him? Um, my first impressions were that I did not like him, but since rewatching the episode and kind of knowing, having seen the episode through to the end and then watching it again, I actually saw him in a slightly different light. And I don't know if that's just because of the, the ongoing plot or if it was just having a different attitude. My initial reaction was, yeah, just that I didn't really like his attitude. But the second time I watched it, I felt like he was more, a little more kind of innocent than I expected. Not not innocent because, I, I mean, I, I don't think he's a villain, but, like, just so I think that his – the posturing around him by Garrett and other people and coach was actually worse than his own behaviour and reactions, if you know what I mean. But basically, we have someone who is very, very, very good at, at lacrosse, and he's very, you know, very, very, trying very, very hard to succeed, and he's kind of uh, showing people up a little bit in terms of how good he is, and he became pretty defensive when uh, Scott and Styles started pestering him about it, which I suppose you would if these guys came up and started acting a little bit crazy to you. So, I don't know, I didn't love him the first time around, but if I, when I watched it again, I was kind of like right, I can kind of see this in a different light, and I think he's not as bad as the actions around him are kind of making him look, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, to me, I didn't really look at him if I liked him or I didn't like him. To me, he was a typical freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, like, that air of confidence that really isn't founded, but I thought it made sense, and it was actually kind of nice to get a reminder of how kids are in high school again with this human aspect that's going on this season but this is how freshman kids would act like if we go back to the pilot the way that scott and styles acted that's how like sophomores would act so it was it was nice to see him actually acting as a freshman can i get that explained to me a little bit because i mean i know how your school system works in terms of um the the year groups and the different schools but we only have two schools here. We have primary, which is similar to your elementary, except it's like K to six. 
And then we have seventh to 12th grade, which is high school. We don't have middle school. So we don't get that attitude of like, oh, I, I was the biggest person in eighth grade, but now I'm the smallest person in ninth grade. You go straight through from seven to 12 in the same school. So maybe that attitude skips out a little bit and you go right from a little kid through to, you know, graduating adults. So uh, is there a bit of a change in the middle of that f- for you guys? I would say uh, so. Yeah, definitely. Cause you get to, you get to eighth grade, you get to the end of middle school. And I mean, a lot of people see themselves as like bigger than they are. Mm-hmm. It, it just happens. And so when you go from middle school to high school, you're either someone who kind of backs off and knows your place right away and then try to work up to it again, mm-hmm. or you're someone who kind of almost overcompensates because you're trying to maintain that level that you were at. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, we, it's definitely noticeable. Yeah. I'm sure that, I mean, I'm sure that different kids are different everywhere pretty much, but oh, of course, but we, de- we definitely uh, don't have that particular um, experience because we go straight through. I'm sure there are kids who get to like 14, 15 who think they're a, a big shot regardless of switching schools. But, um, but yeah, we don't have that specific divide. So it's a little bit different, but Karen, what were your thoughts about him then? I definitely agree with you guys. Um, he, he did seem like a cocky freshman right at first. I didn't particularly like him, but looking back at it, I feel like a lot of that was just a front. Like you said, it was a lot of the posturing around him, um, that kind of built him up a little bit more, maybe, maybe made him act like that in yeah. the first place. But I also feel like later on when he gets to the hospital and he's talking to his stepdad, he sort of admits, like, I really shouldn't have gone up against the juniors. That really wasn't smart. And you could tell he felt bad about it and that yeah. he wasn't, you know, just this cocky teenager. He actually was sort of like a three-dimensional person who was like, okay, that was sort of dumb. Now I'm paying the consequences. Maybe next time I shouldn't do that. So I feel like there is definitely a lot more to him than yeah. just what's in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it. it's interesting because, yeah, you had kind of Garrett, for example, making all the noise about, oh, maybe you'll be our first freshman captain. But when he went up to Scott and, you know, was like saying, oh, my stepdad taught me, you know, he was, he was a sophomore captain kind of like you. He seemed to have some admiration there for Scott. He wasn't disrespectful to mm-hmm. Scott. He wasn't he wasn't the one being overly ambitious. Other people were kind of being overly ambitious on his behalf, if you know what I mean, about him. And you know, he he clearly as, you know, a young freshman was looked like he was kind of desperate to impress the people that, you know, could kind of saw what he could do. He knew what he could do, but he wasn't the one making all the crazy statements, if you know what I mean. He was just kind of being like, oh, wow, well, if, you know, these people are building me up, then I feel the pressure to perform, which is why he ended up, uh, you know, getting hurt, basically. But, you know, I'm not super, super sympathetic, though I did like him towards the end, but I had a total different view. I really didn't like him the first time I watched it. I, but but it was I was misreading him, and the second time I watched it, I was paying more attention to what was going on around him and who was saying what and it wasn't actually him doing a lot of the posturing it was people talking about him so yeah I mean I'm, I can I I've I've got some time for Liam it'll be interesting to see what what ends up happening well you know obviously he's going to be quite a major part of the rest of the season yeah I'm really interested to see if his attitude changes 
because when we've seen other teens getting the bite, like Erica and Isaac, not so yeah. much Boyd, but they, they had a, a fairly big change in personality, or mm. at least it allowed them to sort of like be more open and and who they were because they felt more confident because of the bite. And I wonder if Liam's going to have that sort of attitude where like, oh yeah, you know, I'm so awesome. I'm even better than I was before. Or if Scott, and hopefully this is the case, this is what I really want. Mm -hmm. Scott is able to sort of teach him from the ground up what it means to be a werewolf and that he has to be really careful and that he's not going to be overzealous and overconfident because Mm -hmm. we've seen it before. And I'd really like to see, I mean, we know that Liam's sort of going to be like a little brother to Styles and Scott and I think that, yeah, little brothers are annoying and sometimes they do stupid things, but I would really like to see that relationship and the trust between them automatically. I think that would be even more interesting for the show and the characters than if he sort of just went crazy because all of a sudden he's a werewolf. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have like the Erica Isaac crazy cocky thing. I I don't think that it'll be that. I I mean, there might be something, you know, there might be an attitude shift. But I, I do not think it's going to be that at all. Um, I, I, I mean, I think he might be a little bit resentful of becoming a werewolf, potentially, especially because he wasn't exactly asked in the way that the others were. But I think it also means the others weren't particularly taking it all that seriously. Uh, my other question is basically about the... We've talked so many times about the beta dynamics, but if this is Scott's real beta, like his bite made beta as opposed to people who have just sort of agreed to hang around with him what kind of power and respect scott would have over him if you know what i mean like what kind of how much control and how much like ingrained animalistic subservience that he would potentially have towards scott um and whether that would affect his attitude as well like you know whether he's you know, forced to obey him or, or if it's not even a forcing and it's like an instinctual thing, like, or whether it is a little bit more, you know, just a human agreement. We've seen Scott, you know, be able to make like Isaac and stuff like that back down and Isaac wasn't even really his beta, but that was just in the sort of growling and shouting situation. I'm curious about if someone is your beta, if you're able to kind of if if you're dominant to them at all times, if you know what I mean, if you're like Liam, go get me a coke, and then Liam has to go get him a coke, otherwise it like <laughs> otherwise it like hurts him or something. I don't know, like like I don't know, like I don't think that Scott would do that, but I could see Styles like trying to take advantage of it. <laughs> so I don't know, it's like Scott, make him get us a coke kind of thing. But I don't know, that's just um again we theorize way too much about the beta dynamics. It's it's an ongoing saga. I think the idea of him, because he is his true beta, uh, is, you know, that it's instinctual and that maybe he can't help it. But I think you're right in that Scott isn't going to be taking advantage of that. But it would be, it's going to be really interesting because we didn't get to see a lot of that sort of like background relationship between Derek and the others. We saw it a little bit when he was trying to train them in order to protect them. But I feel like with Mm. Scott, we're going to see a lot more of how all that's going to work. And I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously we also have, this is skipping ahead a bit, but the stepdad seems to be pretty friendly with 
you know, Melissa, not in a romantic way, obviously, because we, you know, we know that the stepdad is married to Liam's mother. But, you know, he works at the hospital. He seems to have been there for a while. You know, Liam seems to have gone to another private school in the area. He hasn't just moved to town. He's he's just coming to Beacon Hills High from a private school in the same area. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that later down the line. I'm curious as to why he was kicked out. But also, if Melissa and, and Mr. Liam, Mr. Liam's dad person, are friends, <laughs> if Melissa ends up finding out that, that Liam is a werewolf now and that Scott did it, whether, you know, he, stepdad will come into it, whether he'll, she'll feel like this is something parents should know or, or what the circumstances will end up being there or whether they'll hide it from Melissa as well. That's a good question, yeah. Just I don't thinking know. ahead a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this is I... obviously going to be a big part of the season. But, yeah, yes. sorry, Danielle, I think I cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I feel like at this point it wouldn't be something that Scott would keep from Melissa. Yeah, neither, just really. I think, I, think, I think they've seen that keeping secrets isn't mm. the best way to go about things. So, if anything, the secret would be maybe kept on her end. Yeah. And not Scott's. But, I but, don't know, like, if she'd feel like, um, if she'd feel like, you know, given her position with Scott, whether she's, like, it's, you know, easier to know or to not know or, like, if anything unsafe. Right. You know, her responsibility as a parent, whether she'd feel the need to share that. But, imagine, like, she never had to really explain that to to anyone else yet. Like, obviously, Sheriff knows, and we saw Styles trying to explain that and then, you know, had to have it proven to him. But imagine, like, Melissa trying to, like, calmly bring other people in on it because that would be, <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> anyway, where were we up to in the episode besides from the lacrosse situation, Karen? Well, let's talk about the mute now, because we see him feeding himself, I'm guessing, through a tube in his neck. And looking at this screen, this computer screen that has all these letters and numbers and symbols on it, like he's maybe reading it or something. And this was like a really short sort of scene in between two other scenes to just kind of bring you back to this guy and to remind you that he still exists like we forgot yeah and um it was super creepy and gross i was it, it was so yeah. short but it really stuck out to me yeah all the notes you've written down are pretty much exact identical the notes that i took in this episode as well um but yeah it was really gross and i was really but i was kind of trying to puzzle it out because at first i was like he's feeding himself with the tube and he's reading the computer and that they're separate and then I was like, is he, like, downloading information from himself into a computer? I got a bit muddled there. Oh, my there. God. But like, <laughs> that was one of the reactions I had, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, it's either he was feeding himself through a tube and reading on the computer, or he was putting info into or out of himself, like, that the tube somehow was doing that. I don't know. There's something going on. But, yeah, all of that coding is clearly some sort of – information in some way we don't know what obviously we shall have to wait and see for that so I assume he's going to be coming back given given the whole uh thing that ends up happening with Lydia but yeah I I don't know yeah put your vote in for feeding himself through a tube and reading a computer or downloading information or putting information into himself via tube I don't know (laughs) why you would want to like how that would even work like it doesn't seem it did look like blood or something was coming through the tube. I don't know. It was it was unpleasant, whatever it was. 
Yeah. I was trying to figure out if that was blood. Like, Mm -hmm. why would he be eating blood? Or, like, if he needs to replenish his own blood supply. Instead of eating. Yeah, like, like uh, I don't know. It was weird. Whatever it was, it was weird. So, back to lacrosse, because this episode (laughs) was so much lacrosse. Scott hurts Liam on accident on the field because he's worried about losing the team captain status, and he decides that he's going to make sure that he doesn't. And he kind of goes a little rough, and he ends up hurting Liam. So, that kind of sucked. I did feel bad about Liam there, but... The one good thing that comes out of this is it looks like, and I mean, we've known this for a while, but Kira's going to be joining the team, and I am so excited for this. I cannot wait to see her in action. I feel like they might have to make some pretty implausible excuses here to have a mixed team in terms of boys and girls, because, you know, there would be an all-girls team, probably not at this school, but like all-girls lacrosse would exist. But I feel like it would be quite unsafe for a girl to play with a boy. However, with mixed teams in my past experience, the general consensus is you have to, if you want to have a mixed team in a sport, um, if it's not like just blanket, not allowed, you have to check with the teams that you'd be playing against to see if they're okay to play with a mixed team. So it would be like if there was a girls lacrosse team and they wanted a boy on it, you'd have to check with all the other all-girls teams to see if they would be like, oh, do you mind playing a team that has boys and girls? Most of them are going to say, no, I don't want to do that. However, I'm pretty sure that not very many all-boys schools would be like, no, to playing a team that has a girl on it because they'll be like, ha, 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 how stupid, of course not. Like, you know, they they wouldn't expect it to be a problem, if you know what I mean. So this is just me trying to add a little a bit of plausibility in there. There might be, you know, blanket rules about it, but because it is a contact sport. But, for example, roller derby, which is nothing like lacrosse, but is generally an all-girls uh, team, or unless you're, play- unless you're in an all-boys league, but it's very uncommon. But if, if there's a team that has a couple of boys that wants to be on it, you have to basically get the okay from alternate teams to say, okay, I'm, we're okay with playing against a team that has guys in it. So presumably just to, you know, make, give this a little bit of a, you know, legitimacy so we don't end up complaining about, you know, <laughs> the, the strange facts of the matter. Um, presumably they would have to submit being like, our team has a girl on it. Does anyone have a problem with that basically to um, the alternate schools they'd be playing and because they're all a bunch of like meathead dudes, they'd probably be like, lol, no, of course <laughs> not. What's she going to do? She's probably just the mascot kind of thing. Like, so anyway, that's me just adding some, you know, peace of mind to myself for why Kira is allowed to play on the roller cross team. But Danielle, did you play any sports in high school? Do you know anything about this? I did play. I was heavily involved with athletics for, okay, let me try to break this down and make it make sense. High schools have to have, I believe, the same amount of athletic opportunities for boys both boys and girls. Okay. They don't have to necessarily be the same sport. Okay. So like boys will have football and girls will have cheerleading. Yeah. So there's opportunities, but they're different. And yeah. so that's how they can keep the, the genders split. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know of a few high schools, not around mine, I don't think, but who have had like a girl kicker or even like linebackers. Really? And I'm, yeah. Whoa. There, there has been, oh God, what in, was it? In 
competitive football, like in a, in the team being. I think so. Yeah, in like a high school level, or even. Yeah. Even middle school. I mean, middle school and below is more common. Yeah, but yeah. I think there is one at high school level, and she was amazing. Mm. Same with wrestling. There have been some really great female wrestlers coming out of high schools. And but they're, and but I they're think, not just they're not just sort of competing against other females. It's like just the weight class, and it would just be whichever competitor. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think I think you kind of hit on it where they have to check with the other team. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think there's necessarily anything written in the rules saying that a person from the un- other gender can't play. Yeah. But it's just kind of socially accepted that a girl would not go out for the boys team. Yeah. Okay. So I do think I do think they have to check. I'm not 100 percent sure because I haven't come across it in my high school, but yeah. I do know that it's not uncommon yeah. anymore. Yeah. It's getting more common. What I'm imagining is, yeah, as I don't, I've never played the sport, but um, roller derby is just uh, uh, friends of mine. But because uh, the people I know are on a mixed team and they have to check with the other teams to see if they can play against them so I'm assuming something similar would just be happening off screen in the world of Teen Wolf in order for us to accept that Kira is on the lacrosse team so uh, that's cool about the high school football thing I've never really experienced that Uh, most of the schools here are single sex they're like all boys or all girls schools anyway so uh, it's pretty uncommon to have mixed schools here so yeah it's uh, again a new school venture for me or to to be thinking about but (laughs) You know, she's very, you know, obviously, you know, instinctive in terms of her catching and her throwing. She can throw a lot harder than she looks like she can, I guess, because of the, you know, the supernatural powers she has, whether that's a kitsune thing specifically because they're all, like, crafty and quick or or what the deal is. But apparently Kira's quite keen to, to play on the, the lacrosse team because she's very, you know, affectionately rubbing her new helmet or whatever later in the... <laughs> Later in the episode, unless she's like weirdly affectionately rubbing Scott's helmet, which is a whole nother story. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. And uh. I feel like because she has her abilities with the katana, like it really lends yeah. itself to lacrosse. Yeah. And I think they made a point of that when she was sort of practicing in her room. Yeah. So I'm I'm just really, really excited. I can't wait for her to prove herself. I hope there's a moment where, you know, it maybe some of the guys on their team or in particular, somebody on the other team are like, okay, whatever, it's a girl, and she just, you know, blows by them all. I think that's going to be such an awesome girl power moment. Yeah, I think it's really cool, and I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what Scott's going to react, like, if he's going to be like, ah, what if she becomes the captain, you know? <laughs> Conflict. Oh, um, man. Anyway, yeah. that would be a bit strange, but it will be, yeah, I think it'll be a fun, a fun aspect as well, and for Kira basically and that is if she gets to stick around and not move from from Beacon Hills yeah her scenes with her parents her oh god her parents are funny they're just um it's it's so cute and ridiculous like I loved her dad her trying to make all of the excuses about staying and she's like dad is a very important teacher at the high school and he's like in New York I was a professor at Columbia which is a bit of a downgrade honestly coming to Beacon Hills and, and only being able to teach high school there I guess uh, I guess they don't have a college in Beacon Hills. Okay so something I want to clear up I think that a lot of people are going to have questions about so it'd be good to discuss it here but 
The next scene is between Brayden and Derek. And before we get into actually what happened, like what was said between the two of them, let's just for a second talk about the fact that Brayden was getting dressed behind Derek as he was looking through the folder that she had taken from the sheriff's office. Do you guys think that something had happened between them? Or do you think that she was just getting out of her like little fake I'm, you know, uh, a marshal or whatever outfit and into like regular clothes. The first time, because I, I watched this episode twice, the first time around, I was really confused because there were no cues as to the two of them sleeping together or that something happened mm. between them that wasn't sleeping, um, especially in the ways that they interacted until the end where she's like, I know what you want. Mm. But on the second watch through, that's when I finally. I guess understood it to be that she was taking off her disguise because she came straight from the police station to tell Derek what was going on instead of, I don't know, going back somewhere else, changing and then coming over. Yeah. I mean, and literally until you said the whole thing about just right now about the, the police station uniform, I didn't put the two scenes together, Karen. I, I think cause I already knew we know that they're going to hook up. Like, it's been in the trailer, right. that, you know, so we know that that's coming. So I kind of assumed, oh, they've already, like, started, and it's, like, this really understated adult casual thing where it's, like, no big deal. Okay, that's fine. And I was kind of like, that's what happened, I guess. That's And, you know, oh, they hooked up, and now she's reading. he's reading the information. But it does make sense that she would potentially just be putting back on her normal clothes and just not giving much of a, you know, bother about being in front of him to do so. I... I would totally buy that, but I'd also buy that they'd randomly started casually hooking up, but I feel like they wouldn't avoid that plot line, if you know what I mean. I feel like they would have, right. they would mm-hmm. show that starting to happen, like, oh my god, especially because they're in the circumstance where she's working for Derek, and, you know, whether it's a conflict of interest, or, you know, whether she has emotions about it, or, like, anything like that. So, you know, if she's being hired by Derek and Peter, and then she starts hooking up with Derek... It's a bit like, you know, there's a bit of a, 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 a conflict there. And I'm just curious about, you know, how that would start out and, you know, how, how that would develop. Derek isn't exactly the kind of person that, you know, we see just being like, oh, yeah, going to hook up, you know, got my needs as a man, going to just have some <laughs> casual time. Brayden, you know, I could definitely see Brayden being that casual and not caring, yeah. but, but not Derek. So I... I think that, you know, when they do get together, we'll probably see it developing, but it may be that we see in a few episodes time that they are, they have been hooking up the whole time and, and that, that, that was a hookup. I, I assumed that because I didn't really think there'd be any other reason that she'd not have clothes on, but I didn't put together the sheriff's like U S marshal uniform and going straight to Derek. So that also makes total sense. So at the moment I'm happy to say that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, they wouldn't avoid that plot line and that hopefully, you know, there is some sort of, I mean, they can hook up, whatever. I mean, that's fine, but I would like to see some sort of connection between them first before they do mm-hmm. that. I think that would be more interesting in terms of yeah. their characters and stuff like that, but, you know, whatever. 
But, I mean, the big question here is that is what she says to him. And it's basically that she knows what he wants. He wants to get Kate back because she stole something from him. And she says this line in another language. And it basically says that the eyes represent somebody's true nature. And his eyes were changed. And therefore, I guess his true nature was stolen. So my question is, like, what exactly does that mean? And why is Derek so worried about it? Because because it really is just the color of his eyes. What could actually have been taken from him that would change him? Well, I don't know, because, I mean, presumably, if we're still going on the same, you know, the same backstory, that he's returned to a non-killing innocent, basically. Is, is that not what's happened? Or is the yellow, he's different to the gold of like the brownie gold because you said that they just changed the like the way they were doing the eyes so i assumed that this was meant to right. be a an unkilling beta eyes but maybe yet like bright yellow is different to the like golden brown kind of color no i don't think they're different i think you're right when you said you know he's turned back to like this innocent you know he hasn't killed anybody but it's not like you can unkill page so no. what's going on there I don't know. I'm mate. curious. Uh, no, sorry. Gone, gone. Sorry. I was just going to say, I'm curious if it has to do with taking, because well, obviously he's concerned because she's changed some part of his personality. And I would be concerned if that happened to me as well. And I'm wondering if she took away, maybe not memories, but like his anger is his anger. And maybe somehow she messed with that. And I could see that maybe changing the way his eyes are. Like, if we get a new sort of description about how the eyes work, if it has something to do with anger, because that mm. kind of defines Derek in I a way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's really strange because, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, he has killed Paige and, and you know, maybe since he's become um, more hard and, you know, ruthless or bad man since then, you know, not that I actually think he is. Um, maybe he's killed people, you know, in battle since then. Again, we still don't know what counts as killing an innocent. Like, you know, do you kill someone? How do your eyes know if it's self-defense, if you know what I mean? I mean, your eyes, they know the circumstance. But maybe it's to do with the consciousness. Like, if, you know, if you know that it's in self-defense, then it's not killing an innocent, you know, whereas he believes that his, you know, killing of Paige counted as murder or something like that. Maybe he doesn't remember it. We don't know if he remembers it or not. Like... He maybe he only remembers killing other people since Paige. I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't get why it's a problem. It's like Derek, take the freaking gift. Like don't look a gift horse <laughs> in the mouth. Like you're you're innocent. It'll mean that if any hunters ever come after you, they won't. If they've got the code, they won't kill you because you're an innocent. You count as a non. You know, a person who hasn't killed anyone. Is that not right? Is Scott, is Kate trying to protect him? Ooh. Uh. I doubt it, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely it. The only thing I can really think of is that, like, I mean, that's still a part of his history, and maybe he just doesn't want to forget it, and he feels like if she's taken that away from him, that she's sort of taken a bit of his past, and that's the sort of thing, like, if I had done something like that, I wouldn't want to forget about it either, you mm -hmm. know, it's horrible and it's tragic, but it was still part of what made him who he is today, like what you were saying, Danielle, and so I feel like 
I don't know. He just he I think he really right now he just wants to figure out what the heck is going on and how they changed and you know, once he figures that out, I don't maybe he has to do something to get his blue eyes back or maybe he'll be comfortable with them staying the the golden yellow. Yeah, I mean, because it would make perfect sense if she de-aged him to pre-page, if you know what I mean, that his body makeup just changed. Like his literal genetics or whatever it does is like he he grew up directly from that age to this Derek in that whole transformation moment last episode and not um and it's sort of he's you know not that his memories changed but he his physical body skipped the whole bit but it wasn't pre-page that she de-aged him to so I don't really understand I mean we're never gonna yeah. we've never heard like present day Derek like Tyler Hecklin talk about Paige and that scenario, you know, or we only had Peter and Cora kind of explain it. So it'll be interesting if he ever has to be, like, addressing it and, like, seeing him deal with the the emotions of that or whatever. Oh, man. Can you imagine, like, today Derek going through the, the pain of remembering Paige's death and everything that he did? I don't want to watch that. <laughs> oh, Derek. Um... Derek, 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 your life is a black abyss. Like, it's just terrible. <laughs> anyway, what? It's just, it's true. We yeah. laugh because we don't want to cry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so moving on, uh, we get some happy things coming up here, kind of. I mean, the episode's pretty gory and tragic, but there are some highlights. And one of them is that Scott and Kira sort of finally figure out what's going on between them. They kiss again, and I guess this means they're officially together, and I, for one, am really happy. Um, I think it was nice that they took some time for them to sort of feel awkward and not really knowing what they meant to each other, but then kind of coming to the realization that was like, hey, yeah, Allison is still always going to be in the back of our heads, but I like you and you like me, so we should, you know, try to make this work. Yeah, and I mean, it was, Kira, poor Kira was so, like, lost, because she was kind of like, uh, you know, it was after all the lacrosse tryouts, you know, the ongoing plot in the episode is kind of, Scott, you know, automatically kissed her like you'd kiss, you know, your wife after uh, 40 years or something like that, and like, oh, bye, honey, and off to class and then he was kind of just like oh shit the kind of thing afterwards <laughs> and and she was kind of like uh and then later they tried to talk about it and he was kind of like sorry I did that thing and I think she was kind of left with the impression that he was like oh sorry that was a hot that was a mistake like in general and then he comes running back through the doors and he's like I'm not sorry and then they jump at each other and it's all very dramatic <laughs> but they, they do look very happy so that's nice I suppose but I freaking hate Scott's well wet look gel hair. I can't deal with it. It's the worst. It's the worst. I, I don't just, even notice. It's Me so, neither. Karen, it's so bad. It's just just Scott's hair compared to how it used to be. He's like the whole thing is like wet look gel, like in little strands of and Styles is this as well a bit in some scenes. And I'm like, I don't know who's doing this, but mistake. It's it's not like pre lacrosse, you know, post lacrosse shower hair. It was like wet look gel the whole episode and I'm like I don't know why you've done this you're not in the Backstreet Boys in 1994 like come on <laughs> come now but um I know the back 94 is probably a bit early for the Backstreet Boys anyway moving on 1998 who cares um it's not good <laughs> regardless and I just I'm not here for it they need to sort out the hair um it was distracting me but you know 
maybe I'm just a, a strange, strange case. You know, they're cute and, and, and it's nice and good for them, I suppose. Danielle, how do you feel about Scott and Kira? I like them individually. I'm not so sold on them as a couple just because I like seeing what they can do when they're not like feeling awkward about each other. <laughs> like Kira is a, a really strong character that, and I don't think I've seen a lot of characters like her ever. So I'd really like to see her as a person instead of her as a person sometimes and her kind of being an awkward teenager other times, which makes sense because she is one, but I'd like to see more of her as herself instead of her as pining or mm. her as like, what's Scott going to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important that they keep her from becoming too dependent on Scott and that their storylines might, you know, I mean, obviously they're going to intertwine because all of the main characters, uh, all of their stories intertwine, but I think it's important to kind of keep her a little bit separate and maybe give her some of her own plot points because um, what they did so great about Allison was that even though Scott and Allison were together, she had this whole other story that was sort of like the plot B to Scott's plot A transformation in the show. I mean, her being part of the Hunters was a huge part of the show right from the beginning, and that was awesome. And I like the idea that Kira is a kitsune, so she kind of has her own family history and she has her own things to deal with, but it's really important for them to not forget about that um, and to keep it separate so that, you know, it doesn't become just like a Scott and Kira thing. It's actually Scott and Kira separately. Yeah. I like seeing, I mean, I think one of the things that's going to help with that is like, I like seeing the different variations, you know, of girl combinations that keep sort of popping up, whether it's Lydia and Kira in the last episode or Malia and Lydia or Malia and Kira. We've kind of seen a little bit of, of all of those together. If you know what I mean, we've seen, you know, last episode, um, Kira and Lydia this episode we kind of had Malia and Lydia in in class and you know obviously Lydia's been giving her notes and stuff and then at the lacrosse tryouts Kira and Malia together and just having those you know various friendships within the girls is, is really nice and I think you know it's it's a pretty big deal for Lydia as well given that her like only real friend Allison just died um, and obviously Lydia's very popular or was very popular before she became the town crazy, but she didn't really seem to, you didn't really seem to have, see her having very deep interactions with people, especially now that she knows about Supernatural. So it's nice that she has a little circle of friends and that everyone's kind of chill with each other. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, speaking of Lydia and her kind of becoming more of a supernatural entity in the show now, I think it's really cool that, you know, and we talked about this last week, too, that she um, is trying to figure out how her powers work and she isn't afraid of them anymore. I mean, I'm sure it's still terrifying to just show up at places where there are dead bodies, but I think she's actively trying to figure out how they work. And mm. she ends up showing up at Sean's house because she feels like they're still missing something there. And Parrish is there because he feels like they're missing something as well. And there's this little back and forth between them where Parrish sort of says she has this reputation for showing up at crime scenes where there are dead bodies and everything. Mm. And she's kind of like, oh, don't believe everything you hear. And he was like, well, I like to keep an open mind. And it took me about two and a half seconds for me to start shipping these guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
totally into it. I really love the idea. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think the pair of them would be a really interesting pairing. (laughs) Yeah. My number one Teen Wolf pairing as of this episode is Parrish and Will Graham from Hannibal. My number two (laughs) all-time Teen Wolf pairing after this episode is Parrish and Lydia. (laughs) So come on, guys. Come on. Make it happen. right now. (laughs) Karen? (laughs) Just, oh, my God. Yeah, but they were great. Like, their dynamic was just like, I mean, it also made me super curious about Parrish, about why he's so... You know, yes. whether he's just persistent, you know, whether he's whether he's just persistent or whether it's he has some sort of powers. That maybe he's a banshee too and he doesn't know it. But, you know, he's clearly seen something. Like he, when he said, I'd like to say I don't believe in anything, he's he knows something. He's that, seen something that in meant his time. Something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. When you were just talking about maybe he's a banshee, um, it just, <laughs> I kept thinking about, like, oh, my God, he has to scream. And, Danielle, I was thinking about <laughs> an episode of Supernatural where Dean becomes afraid of everything. And he just <gasps> yes. screams that it is the funniest thing <laughs> on the planet. And, oh, my God, if Parrish did that, I would die. <laughs> oh, I would no hope idea it would be one of those. Talking about. <laughs> I'm going to try to find you a clip of it, Nat, because it is so funny. Oh, that show it's, it's is very wonderful. strange, guys. That show is real weird. <laughs> but yeah, um, I hope that we don't have to see Parrish like du- stupidly screaming. I don't want anything to happen to him either. Like I get really worried sometimes because these sort of minor characters don't tend to last too very long. I mean, they keep most of the main cast around quite a bit, but um, if Parrish is somehow wrapped up in the supernatural world, I just wonder how safe he is. And right now he's, I, I feel very protective of him and I do not want him to go away. Is it just me or is his hair darker this season? Did he have longer hair that had blonde highlights last season or am I just like transposing Steve Rogers onto him? <laughs> you're, you're obsessed with hair this episode. He has darker hair this season. It looks like he's got it. I'm sorry, but it's true. I swear last season he had like wet look combed blondish hair. A lot like Steve Rogers. And now he has, like, dark, shorter hair. And did, I don't know. Did they cut all his highlights out? Like, I'm curious. I really want to know. Like, do we get to see Parrish at the hair salon? Like, I, I just... Can someone tell me if I've been imagining this? Because I'm really confused. So it's, it's very important to me. Um, but the point is, yeah, the faces in the wood grain of the wall come back that we saw in that one episode motel california where we're like are we imagining that or is that real and it was real because here they are again so it must be wrapped up in lydia's power some way yeah i don't know if it's like you know dead people here like you you know like a sign (laughs) like if it's the souls of the people getting killed like trapped in the wood um i mean what they end up finding in the house is dead bodies you know like a meat locker but, like, are these people that they've, like, lured into the house and killed to, like, feed their little son? Or is it, like, bodies that they've sourced from somewhere, like, semi-legally that, like, died naturally, if you know what I mean? Um, like, because if they were killed there, then it might make sense. But, like, has this whole family, like, just been luring people in the house to kill them because they've been covering up this secret for so long? Probably are finding random people who nobody would care about. Yeah, yeah and, like, and getting them, and especially because like, the one woman that they had unzipped, 
She didn't look to me like she had died naturally. She looked almost like disturbed, mangled, like like but, like, yeah. like yeah, like she was afraid or like that she was fully aware that she was being killed at that moment. Cool. So yeah, yeah, I agree. They're just frozen TV dinners, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Karen. Mm. Thanks very much for that. But yeah. Okay, I'm, you watched Hannibal. That can't be that bad in comparison. <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's just, it's, yeah. I mean, the, again, the freezer below the house of, of meat, of dead people is, I mean, he doesn't have like whole bodies. He keeps it as meat. But it's, this episode is so Hannibal. Like, it's, I am 100% sure that D- Jeff Davis purposely made a Hannibal tribute episode. Like, well, Alyssa wrote this one, Alyssa Clark. So I'm going to freaking bug her and be like, tell me. <laughs> Is this Hannibal stuff? Like, because I need to know. So it might just be a total coincidence because obviously the idea of a Wendigo is something that is a supernatural um, being that could be in many things. But given the current climate of television and given this show's uh, relationship with with Hannibal in terms of, of Jeff and Brian knowing each other, I'm so sure that there's something there about Hannibal. And the Quantico thing, even if it's not purposely a reference, I'm never going to not imagine that they're bringing in Will Graham <laughs> to do a profiling case. And, like, God, Agent McCall's relationship with Will Graham. I feel like Agent McCall wouldn't have too much time for Will Graham. Will Graham's too, like, quivery and sad. Um, I feel like Agent <laughs> McCall wouldn't be very patient with that. Anyway. Probably not. Moving on swiftly. God, I would love it if they made ended up making these shows in the same universe. Like if they got Agent McCall in the background of like a Hannibal episode <laughs> and it was like, and just like working at Quantico in the FBI and it like turns out that like, even though it's never referenced in the show of Hannibal, it's in the same universe as Teen Wolf. So in the Hannibal universe, there are also werewolves running around. I think that would work really well. Yeah, or not, yes. but I want it. There's so much crossover potential here, guys. Come on, you can do it. Come on, fic writers. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It would, you know, if either of you guys watched Hannibal, I'm sure you'd be more enthusiastic with me. But given that you don't, I just look like a crazy person. So what, <laughs> what else is new? What I've seen the first episode, so at least I, I kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. So I'll I'll get to more episodes later, but yeah. You probably I think... don't need to. I mean, you can, but I don't know if you'd like it very much, honestly. Yeah, I think I would. I, I like the idea of it, so I don't know. We'll just have to see. But anyway, bringing this back to Teen Wolf, we switch over to Malia, and um, there's a really cute scene between Malia and Styles here. Mm-hmm. And Styles is helping her with her homework, and she explains how she uses her highlighters. She uses green for the things that she understands, yellow for the ones that she's working on, and red for the things that she just has no clue about. And Styles sort of looks over to his little board of mysteries and notices the strings hanging there, and it's basically the same system that he uses. And this scene was just so adorable to me. I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, they're doing a pretty good job of making them seem like a good fit. You know, it's a bit out of nowhere, but they're doing a pretty good job of making it seem like, you know, quite new, but a, but a really good fit. And, and and Styles, you know, Dylan O'Brien's acting was phenomenal in that scene because it was like, you know, they doing the homework and whatever and all cute and kissy and then, no, we've got to study and blah, blah, whatever. That's all fine. And then just the way that he kind of, you know, she says that about the highlighters. He looks over to his coding. and I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, that coding. I'm not going to lie. It's not like it, – it's, it's like traffic light coat. They're pretty common, but whatever. Um, and 
you know, he's just, and he, you can kind of see in his eyes this moment of like, you know, oh, she gets me kind of thing. And, and then even though he'd called off the kissing, he kind of gives her a, a little one of a like, I appreciate you kind of kiss. And it was, it was pretty tangible what he was thinking. And so that made it cute for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. And his look over to the board for me was like, I don't know, just a little bit away from breaking the fourth wall, even like mm-hmm. his little look over there. It was so knowing and adorable that I could have easily have seen it as him breaking the fourth wall because I got that connection mm-hmm. as I would if he did break it. Mm. Danielle loves styles. It was. <laughs> nah. Nah, no one could love Maybe styles. A bit. Oh my God. <laughs> what an alien concept. Um, mm. it was, yeah, it was really nicely done. As I said, as a new, oh my God, sorry. I'm, I've got a bookshelf on my desk that has like upright wood graining and I'm like freaking out thinking I can't <laughs> it. Oh my God. <laughs> it's actually right behind the picture of Styles and Derek, our, our little podcast artwork that, that we got last year. And I was just sort of looking at that and then I was like, oh my God, the wood graining around it. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. Sorry. Anyway, moving <laughs> backwards. Um, God, today's been a bit weird, hasn't it? This recording. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, again, yeah, I think that they're doing a really good job of making it seem like a good fit straight away between them. And, and that's interesting. And that's not that easy to do. Like you can't just, uh, let, let's talk about Glee for a second because Glee many, many, has many great qualities. Otherwise I wouldn't still care about the show, but did have an unfortunate habit of just creating new ships because it was two people that hadn't happened to hook up yet and just being like, okay, this is a thing now. And it's like, why? Like, but, but why? I don't, this is not a thing. You can't just say it's a thing. It's not a thing. And Styles and Malia, I don't know. They, you know, in, in sort of very little time, they're giving a good idea of, of the developing relationship and making it fit well, as opposed to just, this is a thing. You guys have to accept it, if you know what I mean. And I like that because they probably knew it was quite a challenge. They probably, this ship, they probably, given Styles' history with Lydia, given people's initial reluctance to Malia or what her state might be, and also given the fandom's very large, you know, obsession with Steric and the kind of, you know, some aspects of fandom not wanting to see any other pairings of styles in the show so I think they knew they had a challenge in terms of making like a really viable relationship for styles and I think they're pretty doing a pretty good job of it so far yeah I definitely agree Mm. and the point of this scene here was basically Lydia her notes which Malia had been trying to use uh to figure out math and wasn't working because Lydia wasn't taking notes on math. Lydia was writing down the same code that the mute was looking at on the computer screen. And we've seen Lydia do this sort of thing before with the tree. And Mm -hmm. so we know that it's some sort of her power surfacing, but what, what do you think that that code could be? Or what do you think that Lydia might be able to glean from that? Because we do know that, the benefactor has this list called the Deadpool of names of supernatural creatures that is is basically this hit list. And so I'm kind of wondering if maybe this is like in code and it's a hit list and they have to figure out how to break it. I, think, I am so on board with that. I think it is I, that. Yeah. And I think that I haven't we seen in the trailer that the mute man tries to do that to like to make Lydia a mute man or that she hallucinates that she's a mute man at some point 
That was an old promo from season three that had her mouth like that. And I'm really curious about that, too. I think that she is being recruited, potentially. If you know but what I mean. she's a supernatural creature herself. I, don't, I know, but pr- probably so is the mute man. Let's not lie. Look at him. <laughs> like maybe he's just really messed up. I don't know. Like I don't know. I I feel, I don't know if it's just like her kind of getting clues to stuff, or if it's her becoming one of whatever they are. But yeah, the the mouth covered thing in that way is, you know, it is very curious. So I mean. It could be just a simple matter of simple of of her sort of copying down information that's going to be relevant as a clue later on, like she has before, or it could be that they are already kind of trying to make her an agent of mouthlessness, and <laughs> uh, and that you know they're giving her the information and they're already kind of transforming her or whatever. You know, obviously either way, it's one of those things that's happening where she is, uh, you know thinking that she has something else and it and it not being correct. Like, she probably looked at those notes and thought she had math stuff in the same way that she looked at her uh, fuel tank and thought that it was empty when it was actually full. So whatever happens yeah. is pretty powerful with her mind, with the Banshee things, and it makes her not really process the real world correctly, which has got to become a problem at some point, really. That's kind of terrifying, actually, to, I mean to hallucinate so strongly where your reality is not the actual reality. And that, that could end up getting pretty dangerous for Lydia. So I'll be interested to see if she can actually learn to control this and see the difference. Yeah. Or if it's always going to be like this for her. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's gotta be a way to, you know, know that because it could get worse than, you know, Oh, your fuel tank is, full but you thought it was empty it could get a lot worse than that in terms of processing reality differently you know yeah <sighs> so shall we talk about this final scene now because it was it was pretty intense um we get melissa stumbling upon sean eating the officer which is pretty gross i'm just glad it wasn't uh, parish Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. I would have died. I would have liked I would have it if quit the show. <laughs> I would have liked it if it was that other deputy who was mean to Derek. But it doesn't yes. seem to have been yes. that deputy. It seemed to have been another random one. So. Yeah. I know like someone an older one. I know someone was saying, Why are they introducing so many deputies? Like the casting announcements for various deputies. Guys, it's because they need to kill them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that, that scene was pretty gross. I mean, even for Teen Wolf, it was it was pretty intense. But and, you know, he ends up attacking Melissa, and that was kind of terrifying, although I, I didn't really believe that she was in any, like, super danger, but it was still pretty scary because she was screaming and there was blood everywhere. But Scott saves her, thank goodness. Huh. And um, That was Sean, also another great quote when, when he was like, are you okay, Mom? And she was like, go get that son of a bitch, which was yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And Sean ends up taking Liam and going up on the roof. And we find out that Sean is a Wendigo, which we've already mentioned before. So what did you think about that? Because to me, this is pretty significant. uh, Because every time they introduce a new character, uh, a new monster, I guess, new supernatural creature, it sort of opens the door a little bit wider for what can exist in this world. So what do you think of the idea of Teen Wolf containing Wendigos now? 
I mean, I think that the primary reason for introducing it is to have to, to kind of introduce the idea of what the mute man is doing, that there are all these different things that he is trying to get rid of, if you know what I mean. Um, so I think that is the number one primary reason that they chose to, to make him a Wendigo. Um, and I think that we'll probably discover along the way a few more things uh, pretty much because of this Deadpool list. I, again, the, the fact that they chose to do Wendigos as opposed to other kinds, another kind of supernatural creature, like, I don't know, like a succubus or something, or I don't know, that would be a bit... Mm. But um, is is interesting. I mean, I, I guess it it implicates a lot of people in terms of it seems like they were, you know, the whole family have known he was a Wendigo their whole lives and have been killing people for him to eat and just covering that up and that's fine. And, I mean, I felt a bit sad for him because, you know, he clearly liked his cat and was very nervous and sad, at the, you know, and, and he, he didn't seem like a bad dude until he started eating people. And I was like, yeah. um, and, you know, it's all fun games until then. Um, but <laughs> no. I don't know. I... I has said, yeah, that, that monster is uh, particularly associated with cannibalism and it's actually in the legend, in the actually the Native American legend, um, which I think we've talked before about whether any Native American, uh, you know, spirituality would come into it. They believed that Wendigos were people who were sent after human cannibals as opposed to people that just ate people. Um, which is how it happens in Hannibal. Will is sort of haunted by this hallucination of a Wendigo uh, because of all of the cannibalism going on. But, I mean, how have Wendigos gone down in Charmed and Supernatural is what I'm curious about. I, I have not seen either of those shows that involve the Wendigo. Well, I just sent you a picture of what Wendigos look like in Charmed, and I guess it? we should... It's in the Skype call, yeah. I guess we should be pretty happy that Teen Wolf decided not to go in that direction. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ours is just a sort yeah. of cute, cute boy as opposed to a, you know, monster thing. Um, Very hairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hannibal's, for anyone who hasn't seen, is a man painted completely black with antlers and one of Hannibal Lecter's suits because Hannibal kind of is the Wendigo. But it, it's really not very nice. But I did see someone doing a great cosplay of it at Supernova recently. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was funny. What happens in Supernatural with it? Um, I haven't seen that one in a while. But I believe they kind of take it back to the Native American myth. And it's like an actual man who is very, very fast. And he like lives for an insane number of years because he does capture and eat people because he is a cannibal um and this was before they really had much of a budget so mm. it was really scary because it was more of an unseen presence oh yeah but All from right. what i could what i could remember he was very very tall uh kind of leathery skin and very like skinny mm-hmm. and he just moved so fast you couldn't really see much of him which would probably fit in well with teen wolf i would think yeah I mean, it sounds like something that's pretty pretty adaptable. Um, and as we said, we don't know how many other things are out there in, in the world for, for Teen Wolf, but I'm assuming that's something that the whole Deadpool list will be covering. I mean, is this something sort of happens to people? Do they get turned into a Wendigo like you get turned into a werewolf? Or did, did you just, oh, accidentally gave birth to a Wendigo? Oops, and now we're going <laughs> to well, hide it forever. Like, I, 
I kind of wonder if it's genetic because the mute killed Sean's entire family. So I would assume that they they were Wendigos. Right. So I, I, and I guess it was sort of like a family thing is what I kind of saw it at because they had all those bodies in the house. It seemed like that wasn't something that just like Sean did. And then it was sort of like this, yeah, family thing. And maybe it was genetic. I mean, my kind of assumption was that they were, that they were protecting him, if you know what I mean. That, right. you know, oh, mum and dad, go out and get me some bodies, even, you know, because they want to love their baby boy, even though he <laughs> eats people. Uh, but, yeah, it totally makes sense for the whole family, because I was like, why did they kill the parents as well? Um, so it totally makes sense for them all to be Wendigos, actually. That was stupid of me to not, not think that. In terms of introducing a Wendigo at this point, in terms of mythology for the show, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good start for that Deadpool, because to me... I feel like cannibalism and any sort of creature that is involved with that, it's kind of one of the most unforgivable traits. Yeah. Like we can see these, these wolves running around. We can see the banshees and they all have redeemable qualities to where we're okay with them existing. We don't want them to be killed off. We're sympathetic, sympathetic towards them. Mm -hmm. But when you get to a Wendigo, there's something about the fact that he eats people that is unforgivable. And so I feel Tell like that, that to the may... fandom. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Not me. Don't worry. There's crazy people in the Hannibal fandom that are determined that Hannibal himself is like this misunderstood wooby, and I'm like, no. And, and then there's a sensible part of the Hannibal mm-hmm. fandom that are like, no, he's real bad. You need to accept yeah. that he's real bad. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say that um, it gives us a little bit of sympathy maybe towards the benefactor and what he's doing, because if he's going out and taking care of these sort of creatures, you're kind of getting it from both sides now, or we're getting the buildup on both sides. Yeah. This is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot right before we were recording, because you kind of want to make the mute a bad guy and you kind of want to make the benefactor. I didn't didn't either. I was like, no, And I, and I didn't, and it wasn't like, oh, the Oni are just like, you know, faceless, whatever. I kind of right. didn't have particularly negative feelings towards the mute. Like, I was like, I mean, he he wasn't great. Like, he was kind of freaky, but I wasn't like, you're evil, if you know what I mean. I was, right. I feel bad that's, about him. Yeah, that's the thing, because you, you kind of automatically want to make them the bad guys, because you know that they're going to be going after Scott and the other supernatural creatures that we have become very familiar with. But at the same time, if you look at it from their point of view, like the mute killed the Wendigo because the Wendigo eats people and kills people, and he's a bad guy, even though he's just a kid. But, you know, that's just part of his nature as a Wendigo. And I think that, you know, we say it all the time, one of the best things things Teen Wolf does is kind of make each character puts puts them in like a gray area. I mean, not everybody. Scott is very much in, you know, the side of good, but there's a lot of characters that go back and forth with their morals and you aren't always sure how you feel about them. And I think this is just another great way to sort of look at it and be like, well, who's in the right here and who's in the wrong? If these supernatural creatures are killing people, then maybe they deserve to be hunted down. But if it comes down to they're going after Scott, then obviously that's not a good thing. Like, so let's talk it, it out, meat man. Let's talk. Yeah. It out. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of really hard questions. I feel like that could come out of this conflict with the benefactor and the mute and the Deadpool list and all of that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
obviously sort of Liam gets dragged into it because he is in the hospital as well. Uh, you know, the the kids, I mean, I don't know, like we don't really get much of, of Parrish and Lydia figuring out what the hell's going on. You know, they find the bodies they, and Lydia calls Scott being like, it, he's at the hospital, like the, the dude, Sean, whatever. But, you know, do they know what he is just from seeing the dead bodies or do they figure that he must be a murderer of some kind or that the whole family are murderers of some kinds and that he's dangerous? Is that is that all it is, do you think? I feel like Lydia knew something else was up. I'm not sure Parrish realized it because mm. he's a little bit more in the dark here, but I feel like Lydia definitely knew that maybe something wasn't right with Sean. Yeah, and so Scott's already at the hospital because they took Liam there basically because they broke him and we see obviously Liam having that little conversation with the stepdad we you know we discover that that doctor that Melissa was talking to is Liam's stepfather which is what we were talking about in the spoiler episode about you know Jeff having talked about wanting to include a really healthy um and important like step parent relationship in the show um and that is um that one between I don't know if we know his name yet um the, the doctor, the hospital administrator, who ends up being Liam's stepdad. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, oh, lacrosse, etc., sadness, you know, your mum's going to kill me for getting you broken, etc. Um, and then when he leaves and, and that, I don't know what, you know, I think Liam is slightly stupid to stagger out of bed on a broken foot and being like, <laughs> what's that noise? But, you know, I was just like, why have you done this? Stupid child. Uh, but, yeah, he ends up getting taken, I guess, by the um, – by the Wendigo when Scott's chasing him. And I didn't really understand exactly what he was trying to achieve. Like, was he like, oh, I'm going to drag him off and eat him? Or was he using him to threaten Scott? I, I didn't really understand what he was trying to achieve there. The Wendigo, that is. Maybe like a let me go or I'll Liam kill this dies. Man. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Because I, I was in the same boat. I sort of feel like he just wanted to eat him because he was so concerned about how hungry he was. And I think he was, um, you know, he kept it together earlier when he was in the hospital. He was just sort of laying in bed. He was very close to people and he didn't attack them. But I feel like it had gotten to the point there where he was so hungry and he needed to eat that he was just like taking whatever he could and, and maybe he was trying to talk his way out of Scott attacking him, but in the end, I think yeah. Liam was going to be a goner. I mean, I did feel a little bit sorry for him, for Sean, when, you know, Melissa comes in and he, he was like, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it kind of thing. It's like, not like he's a malicious murderer kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and again, we don't know if the, the meat people that they stored up in the, you know, obviously they were trying to live in the real world and not have their Wendigo problems really affect others. Um, not that I'm giving them that much sympathy, you know, but I, it makes me, you know, wonder if, yeah, as I said, they found bodies, you know, you know, that already in some way that they were clearly trying to not go around murdering people, basically. I mean, or they may have secretly been murdering people and storing them up, but maybe the parents were doing it and not really letting the kids, if you know what I mean, like that they were feeding their, their kids and not having their kids become that. I don't know. I'm just trying to throw ideas around but yeah just the fact that he was just like he, obviously his wendigo powers overtook his human self but like, yeah it's kind of like i couldn't help it like it wasn't like ah, ha, ha, i'm eating people so <laughs> you know i'm like can't you just go and eat some raw meat at the butchers like is that not a thing you could do like no but okay um 
It's not fresh enough. Sorry. Yeah. Liam, yeah, ends up in the middle of all of this, which I guess is sort of, at the end of the day, Scott's going to blame himself for because he was the one that wolfed out and put Liam in the hospital. So, you know, put him in the line of fire, basically. I don't know. The only thing I really didn't particularly like was, was when Scott was like, oh, we can help you to the Wendigo, which is nice, I guess. Um, he was like, the way that he was kind of like, we don't need help. We just need food. It was slightly overdramatic, but, you know. <laughs> okay, let's talk about, basically, Liam is Scott's new beta now. And this is obviously a big deal. We did know it was coming because Jeff did, uh, you know, say that to a news outlet and it got around and everything. So I think the shock value went down a little bit there. Mm -hmm. But how did you guys feel about how it happened? Because I was a little disappointed, not because I didn't like it. I I like the idea that it wasn't something that Scott offered him, that it wasn't like a Derek situation, that it was more like, not necessarily an accident, but he did it purposefully, but it was in order to save his life. However, I feel like, I don't know, it was just kind of awkward. And I was sort of hoping for it to be like, a oh, I'm saving this person's life sort of thing. And I think I just need to get that out of my head because obviously this is how it happened. But I don't know. What, what were your first yeah. impressions? I mean, I kind of, again, thought it would be a bit more like you're dying, I'm going to save your life. But he kind of was. He was dangling off the side of a building. Yeah. And he was either going to fall down or I don't understand why he couldn't grab him with his hand exactly. Like, uh, like I don't know why he was like, oh, I'm going to stop this guy from falling by biting him. I don't know if he was intending to give him the bite or if it was literally the only thing he could grab him with to stop him from falling was his mouth and the incident, you know, the, the thing that was going to incidentally turn out from that was that he was going to get the bite. So I couldn't quite work that out. I mean, I didn't really imagine it one particular way or the other. I kind of imagined it a bit more like, you've got a broken back and you're dying. Like, I didn't really expect there to be a Wendigo involved. I think what what I was a little bit confused about was that it didn't seem like Scott was making the choice to give him the bite to turn him into a werewolf, if you know what I mean. It seemed like he was doing it to just grab him in any way he could. But but I don't know. It's it's not particularly clear to me. But I think we've obviously got to see the the backlash because we didn't really see anything that ended up happening. We didn't really, you know, the, the last shot is you know Liam angrily nursing his bitten arm and being like, "What the hell has just happened in my life?" Um, so we don't really have any results of that yet, basically. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was, I guess, I was assuming that would it would have been that Liam was in physical pain. And so that's why he was going to be bitten Mm. and not like, Oh, I'm going to save you with my mouth. Yeah. So (laughs) pretty much. It wasn't cause it wasn't, I'm going to save you with my bite. It was, I'm going to save you with my mouth. And the bite is is incidental. It's it's a difference. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm in the same boat. Yeah. It, and, it's a little unsatisfying, especially for his, his first beta. 
Yeah. I think, I mean, you were asking Natalie why he couldn't just grab him. Um, Sean did have a hold of his arms, and I think he was, like, pulling on him. So, yeah, it was literally the only way that he could save him. So I feel like they did a good job there making it be sort of like a last resort sort of thing because Scott wouldn't do it any other way. I feel like if somebody was dying and it was the only way to save them or if it was sort of a um, – maybe an accidental thing like that's all really plausible but he wouldn't offer somebody the bite like Derek has where he would kind of spin it in a way that they would be like oh yeah this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me so even though I think the circumstances were a little bit awkward it really was the only way that it could happen and I guess in the end um I'm just really happy that Scott does have a new beta uh, one that he's actually bitten because I'm really interested in the dynamic that's going to come about because of that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So my last question of the episode is why do you think the mute killed Sean, but left Scott alone? I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he likes doing things on the list in order and maybe like, a, you know, <laughs> they keep track, you know, people, you know, from high risk to low risk. And maybe either werewolves in general or, like, werewolves that are proved to not be harmful are lower down on the list. And he's just like, yeah, you're not my priority right now. But I don't know. Yeah. Until until that you guys got me thinking that the coded thing that the mute was looking at was the entire list, mm-hmm. I took it as just that Scott wasn't his mission. Like, he wasn't the assignment. That, yeah. 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 And that maybe it was um, like he was given one name at a time or one family yeah. at a time. But if if that is the whole list, then I'm not sure. Maybe it's still because it wasn't his mission. Because, again, it wasn't the order that you were talking about, Natalie. But, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I could roll with that. Yeah. It'll probably be totally wrong, but what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to jump into this awesome piece of feedback that we have? Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I think you should read it. Okay. If you want me to read it, I'll read it. Yes, because you liked it so much. (laughs) I did like it. Okay. So for feedback, we got a very fantastic and sad email um, in response to our sort of discussion of Malia being in school. And, you know, is that plausible? You know, she's just in the same year group as people. She has literally no, you know, she has social functions, but she doesn't have any general knowledge she doesn't know who the president is and stuff and there's a little bit of that in this episode as well which after reading this email I found very easy to accept it made me a little upset that teachers you know directly call on her and expect you know things of her when they might know her circumstances but I mean it's possible they don't know her circumstances as well um she but basically we got an email from Amanda Lloyd who's a listener and she wrote us a great a great piece basically about her personal situation. So I'll just read it to you in full because it's something I'd never even thought of, but it does give a lot of plausibility to Malia's situations and it's, it's not a happy thing, but it's apparently a true thing. So she says, I thought that I could shed some light on the Malia school situation. I teach at a high school where this happens often as a teacher. It's very frustrating and heartbreaking all, all at the same time. At our school, we get the students who were raised in certain religious cults, to put it vaguely, to keep things ambiguous and private. 
They have literally never been inside of a school or learned to be in what we consider normal circumstances. They take these kids and put them in the right and put them right into the grade of the age that they are. They do this regardless of their learning abilities. Most of the time, these kids, by no fault of their own, are not ready to be in that grade and have barely learned how to read, let alone know who President Lincoln is, um, as was Malia's question last week. Um, they don't even know how school works. They don't understand concepts of class time versus break time or that you have to be in a certain place at any given time. I think that this situation is very similar to Malia's. Her dad, if she is still living with him, could choose an option that gives her extra education and none of us know what the school principal, state or teachers know about her situation or what her story is. So much of it is up in the air. However, it seems fairly likely that Malia is where the school has decided to put her according to the laws of the state. This is long-winded, but I just thought I could help answer some of your questions about why she is in regular school. The idea behind this concept is to keep them up to speed with a proper graduation date before age 19 and get them adjusted as quickly as possible, even if it is a big shock. Hopefully, Malia has had the ability to receive additional help while she is learning, both socially and educationally. Love the podcast and I love the show. Thank you, Amanda. But yeah, this blew my mind, basically. I was just like... Un unbelievable so yeah I mean what do you guys think of hearing that it makes a lot of sense and I love this idea of a real world example that can kind of parallel what Malia is going through um you know I just want to thank Amanda for doing yeah. what she does and also just kind of bring this to our attention because we we don't know exactly what's going on with Malia and what her whole situation is because they haven't told us yet and I think a lot of people are a little bit frustrated because they're not sure how plausible that situation yeah. is right now. But this definitely makes it seem like it's going in the right direction. And I really like that idea. Yeah, I mean, obviously what Amanda is dealing with with real students is more important than anything happening on Teen Wolf. But her emails have literally given me pretty much peace of mind for the rest of the season in terms of Malia and her sort of in inconsistencies in terms of, you know, what she knows about the world and, and where she is, like, you know, why is she in regular school, that kind of thing. Um, I never would have thought that this was a real thing. And it's pretty horrifying to find out that the reality of a situation is so crappy that you would automatically believe it was implausible. But apparently that's the situation. So, yeah, I mean, it sucks. But that's what we have at the moment and whether that's, you know, directly how the school, you know, directly how the show has chosen to portray it or whether they just didn't really have another option and they were kind of hand waving it for me, actually knowing that this occurs is pretty important to me in the way that I view Malia. So yeah, as I said, yeah, big thank you to Amanda and, you know, hopefully everyone who hears this, um, who did have some skepticism about Malia would be able to, to look at it in that light basically, because it's pretty horrible uh, but it's true, apparently, so that's that's that, I guess. Danielle, did you know anything about this kind of thing? It's not something that I, I think about often, but I it's definitely plausible, and I think I have heard of things like this before. It's kind of like the, I, I don't know much about it, but it's kind of, to me, like the whole no child left behind sort of thing. Mm. Like you keep pushing them through so that they stay with, the people the age their age. Group. Yeah. Right. So I think in terms of this email, what Malia is doing and how she's doing, it seems like she's doing relatively well. Like before we thought she was kind of behind or 
it, it didn't make sense. But I think in terms of being thrust into it like this, I think she's handling it very well. Mm. But I do think it's an awful circumstance and it should be different. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the main main thing we wanted to talk about this week in terms of feedback and in terms of, you know, just following up on some of our future questions. And, yeah, I, I do hope that people sort of take that into consideration now potentially. You know, between that and the theory we had last week about the brain healing in terms of um, any any kind of trauma that she might have had, uh, I'm I'm pretty able to get behind Malia, so I'm fully prepared to enjoy her her sort of strangeness now as opposed to asking crazy questions about it every week. So yay for satisfaction, but boo for a terrible system, basically. Karen, was there any uh, news and stuff this week in terms of an, further announcements for the show or or any? No. Um, no castings, no, no big newses as well? Um, Not that I've seen. One last thing I guess we just wanted to mention was our good podcast friend Brooke. Uh, wrote a piece just on our Tumblr about the way that ratings affects the show because it's something that fandom likes to shout about but doesn't really know the facts on. And she put a lot of research into that and it is, you know, it, it will make sense of it to you if you have any interest in in ratings and in what keeps a show alive, basically. So I'll link that if anyone wants to read that. Um, that's a nice little little piece that we we put together this week that she did all of all of the writing for and published on Tumblr. So, aside from that, we don't have any much news for the podcast or much news for Teen Wolf. There's a few cons coming up, as per usual. There's always cons coming up. It seems now there's five million of them. But uh, Donya will be at Wolf Spain, which is pretty soon next month, I guess. Yeah. Besides from that, I think that we're all good. Okay, so next week's episode is, is called The Benefactor, so hopefully we'll meet our, our new friend at some point or find out if, you know, Mute Man is the benefactor, if he's just doing the job of the benefactor, if the benefactor is even a real person or whatever. So at the moment, yeah, we don't know too much. What, what do we know about the benefactor so far, Karen? He has nice shoes. Yep. Okay. He has nice shoes. That's good. All right. That's about all. It's, it's it's a lot to go on. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person from their shoes, but it's true. <laughs> you know, but besides from that, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. So we're going to pass non sequitur section over to Danielle this week, seeing as she might have a new and interesting topic for us. And yeah, we will, you know, answer our questions and then we'll have to say goodbye. But yeah, thank you for listening, Danielle. What was your question for us this week? All right. So after much thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of thought. So of all of the mythology that you've ever come across, whether it's been pieces of it or like if you've read the entire mythological book on it, what has been your favorite? So like Greek, Roman, Spanish, Chinese, any sort of mythology, which one most interests you? Karen. Karen. <laughs> I know Karen's answer. Okay. I know. Like everybody's already going to know the answer to this anyway. Um, Greek. Obviously, I'm obsessed with Greek mythology. I love it. I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, I that's kind of a boring answer because I feel like I've talked about it so many times, but it would definitely be Greek mythology. Uh, mine are probably a uh, toss-up. I, I, I am not obsessed with any mythology in the way that Karen is obsessed with fictionalized Greek mythology, um, <laughs> which is a lot like a lot um no but Thanks. i 
probably the ones that I know the most about um, would be a toss-up between um, Norse mythology or like Arthurian legend. Like, so if that would if that would count in the whole whole scenario, yeah. if you know what I mean. So like the you know like the Camelot, you know ancient Albion kind of um, British uh, like King Arthur Arthurian legend. Uh, yeah, Norse mythology is is one I was always uh, you know a little bit interested in, and and there's a fair amount of books that I've read, you know, or, or just different fantastical worlds that um, incorporate Norse mythology in a way, in a way, um, like you know whether it's Marvel stuff with their take on it, or whether it's like American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Just the the, the Norse gods, the American Gods by Neil Gaiman has mythologies from everything pretty much um the norse sort of gods and relationships are just ones I, I tend to know a fair amount about from various sources but i've never studied them in their their base legends very much uh, you know i've, I've heard uh, you know the, the average amount about greek and roman legends as well but norse is one that i've sort of run into more um i also have liked a lot of fantasy worlds that have their own like gods and mythologies within the fantasy world so I probably know more about them, honestly, than anything else. But, um, but yeah, Norse and then the Arthurian legend is, is for me. But how about you? Um, for me, Greek and Roman has always been kind of big for me. I took a class on it in college, and it was probably one of the best classes I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually also really interested in, like, Mayan and Aztec, like, oh, legends yeah. and all of their stuff. So. I we did a unit on it in school at one point and I was obsessed with the Mayan culture and just everything that they all of their myths and all of their their sort of rituals and stuff. So I really like theirs a lot. And I kind of hope that we see some of that this season on TV. Yeah. Like I was really excited that they were going like doing a lot of like South America stuff. So well, I don't know. I really like that. Presumably, we'll have to find out how the Derek de-aging worked, whether that was a mythology or whether that was, like, science or what. So, so yeah, at the moment, we're thinking mythology, though, like a like an ancient practice of some sort. Um, but, but, yeah, that's, you know, there's a lot out there in the world. Obviously, we had a bit of Japanese last season. Um, and we've talked before about what kind of different things would come into the show, you know, even as I said, even, like, Native American myths, which would make sense for, like, anything that is is still part of the land in in California, basically, like, any kind of spirits um, or anything like that um, would be a good one. There's all sorts. I mean, yeah, Australian Aboriginal culture, like the Native people here, there's plenty of that, you know, not that it'd be that relevant to Teen Wolf, but, yeah, there's there's a lot to go on should should they want to, basically. No unicorns yet, though. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. It'll probably be, like, some crazy demon unicorn. Like, not... <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, without without much further ado, we will leave you, I guess. So, um, yeah, it is, we'll say thank you to Danielle for taking the time out to come and guest on an episode with us. So thank you very oh, much. Okay. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I did. Thank you for having me. I was so happy to come on with you guys. Cool. Yeah, Karen's been like, I need her to finish the show. I need her to hurry up and finish the show <laughs> so she can come on an episode. She's been going on it for a long a long time. Um, Karen and, and Danielle are going to get together later in the summer in Chicago and and do some, some fun things together, which is nice. And 
Later oh. in the summer, less than two weeks. Less than two weeks. Yay. Um, are you going to drive there, Karen, or what? No. <laughs> Sorry. Go trip. No. That would be a very long way to drive. I am I've, I've caught a greyhound. I have caught a greyhound bus between New York City and Chicago three or four times. I would rather fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not the best experience of my life. I'm not gonna lie to you, but I have done it. So yeah, it doesn't seem that crazy far to me. But you know, if the flying is is easier, then I'm sure that that will be much better option um but yeah you guys have fun without me i'll be sad um they're, <laughs> they're gonna go and see star kids shows which is which is obviously relevant to my interests um and and yeah have fun and say hi to all my pals if you see anyone and we shall chat next week about the benefactor i suppose yeah cool so until next week have fun everyone bye 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 Captain America cake. Yes, I'm. Uh, will you please make me a cake? I don't yeah. know how. That's pretty awesome. That's gonna work, but I just, <laughs> I, I really need you to make me a cake. You should come on holiday here, and then we can make cakes here. <sighs> don't tempt me. <laughs> or if I came to the U, if I came to the USA, but then was able to stay somewhere that wasn't like a hotel, like if I came to your house, we could make a cake. Okay, come all the way from Australia to make me a cake.